0: Um yep this is the first sermon in the series of 4 that we will be covering uh, I don't feel that I'm the best person to take this topic the reason is that I don't think I'm a very I'm a model worker one of the problems of um that I have at work is that I also complain a bit too much but I do have a friend who is a designer a fashion designer And uh, he's Mister. You know who. He told me (laughs) and my other good friends, uh, Bernard and Karen, that he loves his work every minute, all the time. He can work every day, and he will not. I mean, he will be physically tired, but he will be alive when he's work. And uh, the two lawyers, Karen and myself, would just be filled with envy. How can this? How can it be so unfair? People can love their work so much. And why are we... <laughs> well, anyway, after that, I picked up a book called Every Good Endeavor. You know, um, in the news bulletin, you will have uh, a picture of the book, Every Good Endeavor. Now, I, I suggest you pick it up if you do not already own a copy. I read it last year, and I must tell you that it helped me a great deal. Uh, Our sermon series is taken from this book, and although I'm supposed to uh, preach from the first four chapters, uh, I I just feel that uh, maybe I should depart, all right? But there's a lot of good stuff there. Read it, because what I'm going to share with you today is only a fraction of what uh, is so richly written by Tim Keller, all right? Now this is the plan. I'll do. I'll do uh, today's uh, message, and next week we will talk about work is fallen. Uh, I will be encroaching into Kapo's territory. I told him already, and he said that's all right. He has forgiven me, and um, Godfrey will then uh, pick up the other two messages at the on the twenty eighth of September and 5th on how gospel can transform work, and if you are a Christian employer. Uh, on biblical slavery. How can we be a better Christian employer? Alright, so that's the plan. Now, I want to start with this, that work is a gift. In the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the Bible describes God at work. It is the account of creation. A creator... a Creator making his masterpiece, and the universe, my first point is that the universe was made without our participation, because you know that you know God was alone, the developer, the planner, the designer, the architect, the engineer, the builder, the scientist, the painter, the planner, the planter i mean his he's alone in the work of creation. And so, these verses say this. This is what God says. By my own hand, my hand, I laid the foundation of the earth. By my right hand, I spread out the heavens. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything, everything in it, all who live on it. Psalm 50, 10 to 11. Every animal, every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on the thousand hills, I know every bird in the mountains and every insect in the field, they are mine. If they were hungry, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world is mine. And all that is in it. And uh, not here, but Acts 17, 28. For in Him we live and move and have our being. So, first point when the universe was created, it was made without our participation. Two, not only is it made without our participation, it was completed without our contribution and we cannot make it better. And I, I, I believe that this verse says, so. when God accomplished all His work on the sixth day, He saw that it was very good. It is perfect. And I want to suggest to you that we cannot improve on something that is excellent, perfect, and very good. So it is without our contribution. Third point, the world, all of life, is sustained without our assistance. And uh, what I'm saying is this, that God can run the world without our help, and He has committed Himself to care and provide for all that is made. Now, this, this, uh, uh, just follow me. Yeah? All right. I just uh, Googled this. Uh. Now, this is just estimates. Okay. I was asking how many mammals there are in the world, how many species. Uh. The list is about 37. I mean, they picked the, the top 37 species, uh, a, a, a mammal type. I just have 10 here. Okay? I was surprised. Rats and mice, 32 billion. Human beings, six to seven million billion. Okay. Cows, one point one billion. Rabbit, one point two billion. Cats, one billion. Pigs, nine hundred million. Dogs, eight hundred million. Sheep, seven hundred million. Horses, six hundred million. And camels, we have five hundred million. And how many uh, wildebeest in the in the African wild? At least hundred million willoughbees, Okay. And you know, if God has to depend on us. Uh, to look after them, they will die of hunger and we will die of exhaustion. <laughs> Impossible. We cannot. So God is in charge and He has taken upon Himself, I will care for it. Every bird and every insect, I know. I'll, I'll look after them. You know, all life is sustained. Do you know, just, just I, I, I Google insects. Huh? How many insects are there in the world? They estimate now. Okay, they estimate that it is ten quintillion. Okay, just if your eyesight is very bad, it's nineteen zero quintillion. And if we were all given a bundle of, a pile of insects, everybody gets two hundred million each. And now that's how many. How many species of insects are there? There are at least nine hundred and fifty thousand species of insects. And just the beetles alone, there are 23,700 species of beetles. This is God's world. He cannot count on us to provide for the world. He did it without our contribution. He can sustain life without our assistance. And so, that's why when Jesus told the disciples, He said, that, well, look at the birds of the earth of the air they don't sow they don't they don't have to work for their living and yet your heavenly father feeds them Psalm 104 10 to 11 you gave you give water to all the beasts Psalm 104 14 you make grass grow for the cattle Psalm 104 27 all creatures look to you to give them food at the proper time Psalm 7, verse 8 and 9. He supplies the earth rain. He has to have got rain. Then the grass will grow. Then He can provide. Alright? So, this is uh, God's will. He created it purely for pleasure. He, he creates it for pleasure just because He loves creating. God works for the sure joy of work. And God invites us now to join Him in the sure joy, the joy of work. I believe that whatever uh gives God give God the pleasure, He really wants to share that with us. You know and um therefore I think that work is a supreme gift from God only men not animals can participate in this great business this this great thing that god has done and created and come to being to, and we are given the abilities to unlock the potential of the world with our labor the miss god gives us the the creativity the uh, the ability to invent to discover to to imagine uh, to be inquisitive to be curious and he then invites us to, to discover the world that He has made. All right? So this, this is really a great gift. He enables, and I want to tell you what, what really uh, uh, happens when God says that He wants to share this with us, this joy of creating with us. He has given us this privilege of participating in His business. Uh, and uh, it means that we are given the pleasure of discovery of development, of experimentation, invention, innovation, improvement. He gives us inspiration and passion. He gives mankind ideas, dreams, imagination, vision, curiosity, inventive thinking. He opens up avenues for us for exploration, for discovery. He gives people unusual intelligence and, and insights and revelation and fresh understanding and the spark of genius. So at every period of time in history, every year, somebody will get an idea. i want to do this. And they will come up with something wonderful. Somebody will compose a beautiful piece of music and it, you know where it's from, where the inspiration comes from. And more and more and more. And God will be downloading those ideas. God will be giving us the inspiration and giving opportunities for things to happen every year. God sharing this with us. And therefore, I believe that work is a supreme gift. And somebody got it right. Uh, But Zael, I don't know, you know, at the time, let me give you the context of uh, Exodus 35. uh, It was time for the people of Israel to erect the tabernacle. And so they need resources. They need people to do the work. And then God told Moses to tell the people, I have chosen Biza'el. I have filled this man with the Spirit of God. I have given him. And look look at, the, look at the kind of things God has given him. It's very unusual. It's very unusual for people to have so much. All right, One man to have so much the skill the ability and the knowledge knowledge to do all kinds of work it is work with gold silver bronze stones jewels metal wood to do all kinds of wood fantastic he's able to do so much because of course the work requires that much uh, that much so and and you no know, as as slaves they probably didn't have the opportunity to be trained in schools and to develop their, their talents and to be tradesmen and apprentices, it, it has to be downloaded. And God has to give this person at one go everything. And after that, after saying this verse 34, and the Lord has also given to this man, Bazael, and the two of them will have the ability to teach others. The Lord has given the two of them the skill to do all kinds of work. They will be able to cut designs in metals and stones. They can plan, see, even with with embroidery and with, with cloths. They are able to do this kind of work. So, see, work is a supreme gift. It is not possible for this man to have anything or for any one of us to have anything unless it was given, downloaded, inspired, all right? you know, along with uh, uh, Bedoven, uh, you, you know this man, and I was just, again, uh, just just reading about this man. Uh, uh, Bedoven, uh started performing when he was five years old, but he had a tutor to teach him. His music teacher uh, taught him when he was even younger than five. And it was reported, that when this little boy uh, played and performed for the music teacher, the music teacher would just stand up, very often stand up and just cry because he cannot believe it that someone so small is capable of so much so by the age of 7 he was good enough to to give public performances before kings and queens and by the age of 9 he was composing and how can how can it be unless it was god given god Downloaded it. Special ability. In fact, there's another great man you will know, Michael Angelo. Michael Angelo was born at the time when uh, the basilica of St. Peter was being built. Uh, this uh, now stands in Rome still. And I believe that Michelangelo was born for a time like this. The people, the Catholics, uh, 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 the, the Christian wanted to build God and Uh, a monument, something that is so huge and so wonderful. And God gave that man a special ability so that he can participate in this great work. And it's amazing. I don't know whether you've been to to see the Basilica of St. Peter in Rome. Not only could Michelangelo paint, he could sculpture, and he could invent, and he could do so many things. How can one man have so much? I think, again, I don't want to be the point. Let's move on. That it is God who gave us this gift, supreme gift, the gift of work. Um, I have. Do you know this uh, company called Siahuat? Now, um, the the older members are know, okay? Because Seahuat is the place you want to go if you want kitchenware, kitchen storage, cookware, tableware, utensils, accessories. The Chinese say, Ying yu, jing yu. anything you want, you get. From the expensive brands to the affordable ones. They have a big warehouse. They have a showroom at Wicked thima, They have a retail shop in, in Temple Street. I know Mr. Tan Cha Xia. Okay, I know him. Or I knew him. He's, he's, he's gone now. Because Mr. Tan's daughter. Married my brother. Ah, you see, so uh, I know the whole family. Uh, you know, my sister-in-law Cindy was a teacher, the eldest daughter in the family. And uh, after that, when the children came, we married my brother and we had three children, and uh, she stopped work. She had never participated uh, in the father's business. But by virtue of the fact that she is done, she is given a share in the business. Of course, the boys get a bigger share, but the girls get a share. And by virtue of the fact that she had, uh, she has a, she's a shareholder, she shares in the profit. You know? And it really doesn't matter. You know? It doesn't matter that whether Cindy uh, uh, contributes to the business in terms of planning, whether she even appears in the shop to welcome people, uh, and, and or uh, whether she's a shareholder. It doesn't make any difference. Because the business is already there, of course, the children participated in it, and one of the sons, Trimbunon, had, had brought it up to a higher level, but the rest just participate as shareholders, and they just just get the money. You know, I think it's like that, you know God is like that. God's world is so rich, so much to offer. And he doesn't really need our participation. He doesn't need to give us anything. He can enjoy the world and enjoy it himself. But when he created man, he wants us to share in something that he takes pleasure in. And one of the things that really gives him pleasure is work. The work of creating, beautifying, improving, cultivating is given to us, not given to the animals. The animals just have to uh, wake in the morning, and the birds are just fly, and to pick up things that are already available, made available by God. We are given the privilege to cultivate, to make something out of nothing, to discover, improve, innovate, invent. This is our privilege. So, work is supreme, and we cannot participate in anything that God has unless God invites us to. So, uh, uh, and this is the this this. Con- I want to give you the context. Now, First Chronicles twenty nine. This is uh, the the story of David. David wanted to build uh, God a temple, and remember, God said, "No, you will not build it. It's your son who will build it." Do you know that even though he didn't have a chance to build it, the plans, everything concerning the temple, every detail, measurements were downloaded to David. God gave David the plan and David just handed over the plans to Solomon to build. But what David wanted to do was this. Besides having the plans, he wanted to provide for the building of the temple. So he started to amass a lot of materials and, and gold and silver and wood and timber, and everything. And then he invited the people that, well, this project is big. Who wants to participate in the building project? And of course, he was very, very successful. It was immensely successful. The generals, the nobility, the officials, everybody contributed. I think it was so much. He was overwhelmed. And because he was overwhelmed, he said this prayer. First Chronicles 29, it was his response to the contribution of the people. And he said that, Oh Lord, wealth and honour comes from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exhort and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. We give you praise for your glorious name. Who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give generously like this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Got it right. He got it. If God wants to build a temple, He has the resources. He can do it. He can do anything. But it is channeled through people so that we can participate in this great work. So David will say, who am I? It's all, it's all yours anyway, but thank you for the chance to participate. Alright. Now, I know that you are dissatisfied with the sermon so far. Alright, I know. I know your mind. You think that all that I've said is good in theory, but it is not real in practice. Right. We agree that work is good, but life is hard. Life is hard after the fall. Now, I'm entering into territory. week two. Next week, I sought permission to encroach. I, wa- I think that there is a problem. Okay, Life is hard because of at least two problems. Huh? Let me simplify it, two problems. I think life is hard because there is too much work. And life is hard because there's too much pain. Let me, let me just elaborate. Life is hard because there's too much work. We have obligations at work. We have responsibilities at home. You have duties in church. You have expectations from friends. Your bosses demand your ardent dedication. Your spouse expects your selfless devotion. Your children want your loving presence. Your parents want your filial affection. Your pastors also want your sacrificial commitment, and all is important. None should be neglected. The problem is that we don't have enough time. We cannot squeeze twenty-two hours of work into an eighteen, eighteen hours of of, of eighteen waking hours. I'm assuming that you sleep too. So you you have you have only so much so many hours in a day. Now I know a lot of you young people. I've not started with you. You don't understand what I'm talking about. I tell you, when you start work, you will realize that you will not have discretionary time. Your time belongs to your bosses. And then when, the cho- when your girlfriend or boyfriend come, they will take a chunk of it. And then when the children come, they will take all of it. For all the love that they can squeeze out of you, they will take And if you want to give them more, they will take it. And it is like a vending machine. A lot of married people, parents, think that they are like a vending machine. They just want their... They got to deliver money. They got to deliver love. They got to deliver goods and services. Everybody wants a bit more of our limited precious commodity. Bang. Too much work. Number two, too much pain. People give us pain and, you know, I've been uh, working for some time. Bosses are dissatisfied. Colleagues are annoying. Customers are demanding. Clients are often unappreciative. And if you are a teacher, you know that teachers' chief pita is this complaints. And usually it's not from the student. The parents. Do you know that when my sister... Went to, um, uh, got her second posting in a, in a, as a principal. Uh, two, I can't remember, if it was two or three primary schools were supposed to merge. And because of the decision by MOE uh, to merge these schools, uh, the parents were very, 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 very angry, very, you know, just, just complaining. La. And uh, I asked her how, how bad it was. All right, on the average, six per day. And she had to bring down the complaints from six per day to four per month. It's too you much. Know? And you know how she did it? God, she, she, she just had to tell God about it that this is just too much. And the Lord told her, I will help you with the noisy parents, the noisy parents, uh, make them your friends. So she started to listen to God and she started to befriend the noisy parents. And these noisy parents then became her friends, and then these noisy parents then helped her to do the work. Uh, I'll tell you a little a bit uh, later about how, how this, uh, maybe another time. But you see, complaints. And when, when people are difficult, motivation is affected. When motivation is affected, em- our emotional reserves are depleted, uh, joy diminishes, performance fades, satisfaction uh, uh, start to, f- to fray and then we feel very short change, and then work becomes a drudgery, and work becomes a weight, a weight, and the Hawking word is sien. And uh, so it becomes work was good. Uh, I wanna tell you what we can do to recover passion. You you gotta you gotta take charge. You cannot let people take the passion away from you. You gotta do something. Two things you can do, two options. First, you've got to enjoy what you do. You must continue enjoying what you do. So what you do, some people say you sack your boss. You just change jobs. You, you find a better working environment. You look for something else that you rather do. So you enjoy what you do or, like my sister who, on, who was on pension service, she couldn't quit, she got to enjoy whom she served. If you can't change the circumstance, you've got to change your heart. So that's my next point. Work has to be worshiped. Work has to be worshiped. And, uh, you know, I don't really surprise you uh, to know that the first time the word worship appears in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 22. And it the context is this Abraham was told by God, instructed by God, to offer his son Isaac and Mount Moriah. And so, he went and he did that. And the, the Hebrew word there, which I can't pronounce, means bowing down. Submit. yield, Surrender. Honour. To offer something valuable. Something excellent. Something precious. Something that is our very best. So, of course, Abraham did just that. Abraham worshipped because he was willing to lay down uh, uh, put his, his son on the altar. Now, um, I, I want to uh, uh, describe a bit more when uh, when Jesus was uh, by the well uh, uh, with a Samaritan woman and the Samaritan woman had the discourse with, with him about oh, where well, should we worship? You know, some of you Jews here and I, we here and there and, and God said, well, really, it's, it's not about the place. And he told the Samaritan woman that God is seeking worshipers. Worshippers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and what he means is this, that worship is much deeper than action. Worship is, is an inner response thing. It is a heart attitude thing. In other words, bringing God pleasure is at the heart of worship. Okay? I want to uh, make the connection uh, Soon uh, about why work can be worshipped why god mu- work must be worshipped uh, I, I will I'll give you this uh, just simple outline uh, that um, when we live for God's pleasure, our heart is at the right place that is worship and uh, in mark twelve thirty God told the, uh, Jesus told the disciples. This is what it means to know what is truly important. Worship. To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Totally. This is what it means to understand what brings God pleasure. Worship. And so, we respond to God in three ways. We respond to God thoughtfully with our mind. We respond to God passionately with our heart and soul. And we respond to God practically with all our mind. And what it means is this. Thoughtfully with all our mind, we focus our mind on God. God is never out of our mind. I, this morning, I gave an illustration of uh, children, young children especially, who always call their parents at work. It happens because I have, I have colleagues who, with young children SMS, phone calls, and they will, they will call them for anything. You know, uh, to ask for permission to do certain things. And, and sometimes when the morning is very, very quiet, like for many hours, there are little kids that uh, don't call. They will be very, they'll be very alarmed. I wonder what's happening. Then they will call. What are you doing? You know? Now, uh, the, 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 the children, is never out of their mind. So even when they go shopping... And when they are uh, going about doing things, they will be thinking that, "Mm, I don't know whether this will will fit the child. I don't know whether they will like this. I wonder whether I should uh, enroll Him for that. It's always in the mind. And it means that when we we respond to God thoughtfully with our mind, God is never totally out of our mind, out of our thoughts. Uh, We think about it. We consider Him. We ponder on God passionately with our hearts. We express our affection to God. We always think about whether it is something that God will, be, will take delight in, whether He will approve or not. We, we respond to Him practically with our strength and we use our ability to please Him. Okay? <clears throat> Let's move on. Huh? The gist of worship is succinctly captured in this one verse, Romans 12. 1. Paul said, that you are to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is what, this is true worship. This is what worship really is, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what it means is this, the emphasis of true worship is that the focus of the heart is first, first, a desire to please God, a first to do things well for Him. The focus is God to bring God pleasure. And, and efficiency. Uh, that's why uh, Paul could tell the slaves in the church of Ephesus, serve wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Remember, the slaves could not choose a more meaningful work to do. They cannot choose something they prefer to do. An employer that they think will be better. It's, it's, not, it's not a question. It's impossible. So they have to Enjoy whom they work for. And Paul say, work for God. Work for Him. Alright? So the real test of, of, uh, of worship is the focus of the heart. God is central. God is foremost. God is essential. He is the, in the middle of it all. Alright? So these two verses uh, I, I want to uh, bring up before I move on, huh? Second, Corinthians chapter eight, verse two to five, Paul commended uh, the Macedonian church uh, in this way: In the midst of a very severe trial, there was an overflowing of joy. In the extreme poverty, well-up, rich generosity, and he says that these Macedonians, uh, the church in Macedonia, they urgently pleaded with, with Paul for the privilege of sharing in the service of God. Of course, God can supply the needs anyway, anyhow. But please, let us have a share in it. Let me participate in this that God is doing. So they got it. They got, they got the Jesus worship. And why? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. And Paul himself said this in 2 Corinthians 5.9, More than anything else, I want to please Him. That is worship. Is having the right focus. Now, there was once when Mother Teresa was approached by a young man who said that, "Well, Mother, I have a special vocation to work with the lepers." And uh, Mother Teresa's response said, "Well, uh, I think you are somewhat wrong, brother. Our vocation consists in belonging to Jesus." The work is nothing but a means to express our love for Him. That is why the work in itself is not important. What is important is whether you belong to Jesus. He is the one who offers you the means to express that longing. And then she says, how do I love God? By doing beautifully the work I have been given to do by doing simply that which God has entrusted to me, whatever form it may take. It is not the work in itself that is our vocation. Our vocation is first. First of all, that we belong totally to Jesus. Then, every, uh, the work that we are called to accomplish is a means to give concrete substance to that love. Okay, first, the vocation is to belong to God. You know that the law of Sabbath uh, was not given in Genesis chapter 1? After God created the world in six days, and then He rested on the seventh, right? we thought, oh, this Sabbath thing uh, uh, is uh, is instituted uh, from the beginning. Not true. There is no instruction from God to Adam and Eve that you are to rest on the seventh day. It's, It's amazing. And the first time the law of the Sabbath rest was mentioned was 2,500 years later through a man called Moses, the 26th generation from Adam. I was just wondering, you know, isn't this a pattern? Shouldn't it be an instruction that that should be given right at the beginning? Then I I thought about it. It didn't have to be. Sabbath was really not necessary. Why? Because God did uh, in the beginning, Adam's labor and Adam's leisure were brought God pleasure, and in life and in work, Adam worshipped God. God communed with him; he communed with God. God gave him, and he returned to God his work, and so they lived in a state of of just worship, and therefore there was no need to give an instruction on worship and, or on Sabbath. And I think that this is something that one day it will be recovered. Uh, and, and because Jesus has come already uh, to redeem the world, it will be recovered. Uh, and and one of the areas that we we want to recover uh, that is lost uh, is in an area of work. We must now treat work as worship. And when it is worship, it is good. Okay, let me... Uh, uh, this. Uh. So let me summarize it this way, okay? Work is from God. Nah? Work came to us as a gift. To God, work is offered by us as worship. Okay, For those who are listening to it online, let me read it again. From God, work came to us as a gift. Who God, work is offered by us as a worship. And, um, you know, my, you know I, I, uh, my, my parents, both my parents were very good cooks. Uh, they just created different things well. But uh, when, when my father cooked, my mom doesn't have to. And when my mom prepares food, my father would get out of the way. But once a year, during Chinese New Year, they will work together to prepare something, like the babette feast, uh, something really special. And because I live with them the longest, I know that preparation sometimes happens two weeks before because they go to do shopping and to get things done. And earnest, serious preparation is at least one week because the sea anemone, uh, the, the shark's fin, has to be washed and cleaned and soaked. And uh, a lot of preparation needs to be done. Um, and One of the pleasures of my parents is to have all the children and grandchildren come together for this one evening and they enjoy watching us. I I know because they would just be like while we're eating, they would just be hanging around and just watching uh, to see what's happening to the food. Uh, The more we enjoy the food, the more enjoyment we gave to them. The food is offered as a gift from Him, from them to us. The enjoyment of the food, the delight in their presence is returned to them and gladly received as thanksgiving. That is what I mean. That work is offered to us from God as a gift. And when we return to Him, He goes back as worship when we delight. God gave it, we take it, we love it, and we express it in service. That's worship. And um, that's why uh, work can should always be good. Work can be good if we understand that work can be offered to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, meaning whatever you do uh, in, in life, do it all for the glory of God. Colossians 3.23, Paul said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And so, Eric Lindell, again, this is mentioned so many times in so many uh, sermons about this Olympian who who became a missionary, but when he ran, he told the sister that... uh, he made me fast. He made me fast, And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. That is what worship is. And I believe that it can happen to, to all of us when we lead worship and we just love preparing it and delivering it, you know, and give God the best. I tell you, God takes pleasure. And when we study, we want to, to prepare well and, and just do a a good job or whatever, assignments or or, or whatever, it gives God God pleasure. It's an attitude of the heart and God looks at the heart. Let me just summarise because I I will end here. Let me just summarise this and I'm not so clever to come up with this this few lines. I I attended a seminar and some wise guru uh, uh, summarised work this way work should always uh, be good, uh, regardless of our circumstance. But first, our work must be defined by our worship. Meaning, uh, Jesus must be at the centre of it all. And when Jesus is at the centre of you all, what Mother Teresa said this, uh, first, first, we belong to Him. Our vocation is that we belong to Jesus. Then, we will receive our calling. It doesn't mean uh, that you are. You will only be fulfilled and happy if you serve in the area of your giftedness. Do you know that Mother Teresa said that uh, she was happy. She was the happiest when she was a teacher in a uh, in the place called uh, Lo, uh, Lorenta. Okay, uh, I think she was a teacher for seventeen or eighteen years, and she was the happiest uh, during those years. And then God gave her a call, to call her out to serve the poorest of the poor. So it doesn't matter, you see, when work is defined by worship and Jesus is centered, centre of it all, we can have many, many callings because all these callings are a means for us to express our love for Him. Okay? Number two, work must be distinguished by our walk. And what it means is this, Jesus must be glorified and God must be honoured. Because we are returning to Him something that is of worth, of value, that is pleasing, that is excellent. We return it to Him and that will be our consecration. Third, our work must be directed by His Word. Meaning that we have to consult this Word. There is a lot that God has to say about how we work, uh, what attitudes we have how we solve problems, what's our, what is the appropriate response, and how we live must be directed by biblical con- convictions. So this will be our compass. Okay. Now, I want to close by sharing with you one person who understood this. Okay. I'm having a flu. It's beginning to act up. I'm going to lose my voice soon. And if I yawn, it's because the antihistamine is still working. (coughs) My uh, sister uh, was uh, a vice-principal in Suchin Primary School. And um, the Suchin Primary School uh, principal, Mrs. Wong, really thought that she was first class. And uh, so, of course, um, she got promoted and my sister became principal. But when the posting came uh, for my sister Jean, Mrs. Wong was very disappointed. And he told Jin that, Jin, you deserve to have a bigger school. You are capable, you have the potential to be a principal of a bigger school. But say Bedok Town Primary School was a dying school. Dwindling enrollment. It was so bad that uh, MOE had decided that there would be a merger of three primary schools. Bedok Town was, was affected and there will be. Uh, there are only three more years, meaning that you are the last principal. You, you can't take is going to close out in three years. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about this kind of posting, yeah? That They appoint you to be CEO. Uh, but by the way it's going to be, it's going to be closed in three years. So, what is the point of having plans and five-year plan and improving and renovating and improving the system? It's going to be closed. And so, Gene. Well, thinking that it ah, doesn't matter. This is my first assignment. Let's make the best use of the of the three years. So when she went to the school, she found that it was more difficult than had, she had imagined because sixty percent of the students were of the Malay race and who came from one-room flat, two-room flat, three-room flat. Number two, staff morale was very low. And it's as if. The last principle was just in maintenance mode. Absentism was very high. People just don't show up for exam. They don't show up for PSLE. So my, my sister then got the staff together and said, well, you know, um, we have three more years. Okay, It is not, of course, it's time. You may think that it's time to wind down, right? But you see, these children are people. They are under our care. I want to inspire you, I want to give you a vision, Jean said, that we want to make a difference in these children's lives in the next three years. Can you be with me? Of course, some said yes, other people like, oh yeah, sure, three more years. So what my sisters what my sister did was this: my sister started to visit the homes of the kids, of course, the, the, the more difficult cases. Huh? she started to visit the homes and at the staff meeting, she will report to the staff what she saw. She would tell them about their living conditions, how bad they were, about their neglect, about the needs, how great these needs are, how disadvantaged these people are. And she would tell the staff, you know that, come on, these people don't have what we have. Let's give it to them in the next three years. Let's give them whatever we can give. Make best, make the best of this time and make a difference in their life. Wow, everybody woke up. Yeah. And then more people came on board. And, and then people uh, started to visit, the teachers started to visit the children's home also. And they came back to volunteer their ideas and, and to... To, uh, uh, everybody's creative in different ways and they have different ways of doing things. And they started to tell her what they want to do. And she said that when people started to volunteer, she could do more work. And she said that she's very, very privileged. Uh, that when I inherited this dying school, there was lots of money. You know, there's a staff fund, and uh, no, there's always a fund to use. And, and three years ago, to spend it all, you know, you don't have to keep some reserve. said, so I've got a lot of money to spend. And uh, I start. She said that she started an adoption program. Adoption programs. This, this means that uh, this uh, some kids uh, are really hopeless. Like right? it's, it's really very very bad cases. So she told the second language teachers. Uh, the uh, the the second language teachers are not form teachers. You see? They told the second language teachers that can you because you don't have a class uh, adopt these kids for three years. See what you can do for them. These are the kids at risk. Uh, And you pay special attention to them. They are called the adopted kids. uh, And you will check their homework, you will call them, and you will visit them. No problem. And all the second language teachers then adopted these kids. Number two, he got together a group of Christian teachers and three HOD, and they were willing to pray with her every day. Number three, The vice principal then volunteered that why don't we have a school care program, after school care program. We convert, now following enrollment, a lot of classroom, turn them into little flats, meaning that they must look like home, sofa, a a refrigerator and all that. Because these kids are roaming and running around, bring them into a home within a school. And so, it was very, very successful. And number four, he got an artist uh, to say that... uh, uh, I want you to teach my children to the paint. Then he got uh, uh, people, some contractors, uh, this, this uh, vendors, to do dance program, music program, and he explained to all these external uh, vendors to say that this, my kids are special. They are different, not different in a good sense. They are poor, underprivileged, disadvantaged. Their parents cannot afford to give them any of these things. And I don't want you to turn them away just because they can't pay. You've got to charge them low or you waive the fees. Okay, and I will... uh, Of course, the the school can help in a bit. But I want you to give them what their parents cannot give. And all the vendors said that they were all very moved by the compassion of the, the principal and the vision of the principal. And everybody gave all out. In fact, because they gave all out, they could even together planned a musical. In the third year, which is the last year, the closing year, they have this vision, why don't we have a music? musical? musical, you know. Uh, of course, they got someone to write the the, the the musical and to get all these underprivileged kids who can't even speak properly to to perform and they did it. And uh, this was the result, and my sister said, uh, that every year they will, he, she would tell success stories and Every time a student does well, a painting, put it up, praise, give them every opportunity to be, uh, uh, you know, to feel special, and then because they feel good, absenteeism fell. Down. In fact, absenteeism was no longer a problem, and in fact, lateness was no longer a problem, and actually, by the third year, the P.S.L.E. result on the final year was above national average. And she said this, uh, uh, I, I, now I have to read, I'll quote what she said. I believe that God gives us talents and will continue to build on them. He gives more as we serve in the places He puts us in. With this belief, I do my best at every phase of my career. I focus on doing the work of God well, I'm always conscious about shining for Jesus daily. Work must be defined by worship. And when work is worship, work is always good. Work must be distinguished by our walk. There must be a desire to glorify Him, to give the best because it will reflect well on God and our work must be directed by His Word because there's so much God has to tell us how to live. Jesus came not to redeem us from hell. Jesus came to redeem all aspects of creation, including work. And we don't have to wait for heaven to enjoy work. Work doesn't have to be sin. Work can be good. Now, if you can't serve in the area of your giftedness, let's work for the God, the employer, who can give us this pleasure. Okay? So this is really um, my message. It's time to just maybe pause for a while. Response. I don't know what is your attitude towards work. Has God spoken to you today? can you respond to God? And to tell God, God, I I want to, I want to see work differently now, whether I'm a student or I'm working or, or a parent. I want to do it for the pleasure of God. And the musicians can come forward Let's close in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful gift of work. You don't need us. You can manage on your own. But thanks be to God. Just because we are created in your image and because we are loved, you have chosen us to share this precious part of creation, which is work. We can work. What a wonderful gift it is. You've deposited in us so much creativity, ideas, intelligence, and then you help us to uncover, to discover, to innovate, to experiment, to come up with new things, to compose, to design, Oh Lord, we are looking into the bag, the bag that you have pre-packed and we want to see what's inside there and I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that they will look inside this bag and they will see how special they are. God, we thank you for what you have deposited. We want to use what you have given and I pray that you will teach us how to use them well. And as you have said in Ephesians 2.10, that we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared for us beforehand to do, that we may walk in them. God, we want to to do this thing. This week on, whatever we do, in everything we do, God, we want our good deeds to bring praise to you. So thank you, God. Teach us to worship. And our acceptable sacrifice will be the work we do that is offered back to you. We thank you, God. We thank you today for speaking to us and we pray this in Jesus' name.
1: Together. Before we leave, let's just take some time again. Just thank God for uh, the work that God has entrusted to you. Some of us are students then your studies will be your work. Some of us have been working for many years, some just a few years some difficult bosses, difficult challenging work but just just uh, take this time and just say God thank you. This work is a, it's a gift from you and ask God to give you that joy work to renew your passions and ask God for his ideas, motivations to make your work even better. together. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word that have spoken to us. Thank you for the example uh, about various ones who gave their lives, their work to you as an act of worship like Mother Teresa and for the example of of Jean. I pray that today as we go back, Father, as we face our studies, face our work, that God will give us a new perspective that we are not just working for ourselves, we are working for to you for you. as an act of worship. Therefore, Father, may you grant to us that joy, that passion, that pleasure that comes along. And grant to us your creativities so that God will not just do the bare minimum, but do beyond that. Because, Lord, we are not just doing to earn a living. This work is a worship for you. And we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.